So we don't have a topic. We were just sitting here talking, trying to figure out what to talk about. And Jimmy has to leave early, and we don't have a real topic, so we're just going to wing it. We got, we got a little time. Yeah. I have to go to Las Vegas today. I'm going to SEMA. I don't know what that stands for, but it has to do with cars and fabrication of sheet metal and pipes and tubes. So it's going to be super fun. Hmm. I'm really excited. So we could spend 30 minutes or so trying to figure out what that acronym means. That'd be fun. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. SEMA's really cool. You've been before, right? No, I've never been. I've been to FabTech, which I'm also going for. Sorry, I'm putting mail in an envelope. I'll stop. Um, I've been to FabTech, which is also really fun. It's very similar. They happen week apart. So I am going to SEMA today for the week, and then I'm going to FabTech next week for half the week. And uh, I'm going this week for Cargo Glide, which is the company that makes the drawers for the trucks, which I love. And then I'm going next week for 3M. For the, I'm going to be the host of this event called... Wow. Uh, uh, it's a terrible name. Terrible name. <laughs> <laughs> the um, I'm, I'm like, I'll come up with the name in a second. It's, Jimmy's uh, got a million things going through his brain at one time. You can just tell <laughs> yeah. he's anxious. Yeah. He's got to leave in a few minutes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, did I tell you about the? I don't know if I talked about it on here. The time Clash, I was Clash of the Grinders. That's what it is. Right. I was going to say Attack of the Grinders, but I knew that wasn't it. Clash of the Grinders. So, good. I'll explain that after. Go. Uh, did I tell you about the the Ford GT from SEMA? I told, no, what you told do? somebody this recently. So when I went to SEMA, it was probably fifteen years ago or something. But um, Ford had their own pavilion, like this entire gigantic room that was just Ford stuff. And the way in and out was through this one big kind of downhill walkway into this room. And you know the Ford GT, like the super sleek, cool race car looking car. They oh, took it looks one of like those a Ferrari. and they like, they like laser cut it or something down the middle, like a full car. And then they split it in half and you walked through the middle of the car to get into this pavilion. And it was so cool. Huh. And it was like they had, they had glass on it, you know, on each one of the sides. <clears throat> so you could kind of, you couldn't touch any of the inside of the car. But I mean, I, it had to have been a laser, but I don't know Probably what kind of laser that no? would be. Water jet? I mean, maybe, but like top to bottom of a car, it was mm. crazy, but it was huh. super cool. A laser band. I always like that car anyway, but. <laughs> you just drive the yeah. car right through the laser? Make sure it doesn't if you hit had the shoulder two of them. No, if you had two of them, you could just put one against the sander and then tilt it to the middle and then put the other one to the sander until it's to the middle. That's how you That's, that's probably how they what, they did. They did. that's yeah, what they did. That's what they did. Now that makes okay, more sense. I got hmm. <laughs> anyway, it was super cool. Uh, that's like of all the stuff that they had, you know, and there were tons of different types of things when I went to see my different sports cars. And then there was a whole rock crawling. There, something that year was about rock crawling. I don't remember, but it's so like all these big off-road vehicles. But that is the one specific thing that has always stuck with me. Like I can still picture walking through the middle of that car. It was, it was awesome. Anyway, speaking of cars, David, you had a race this weekend. I did. I had my very first race yesterday. And my butt is crazy sore, so it's really uncomfortable to sit in this <laughs> office chair right now. Um, but it was it was a blast. I did not make the, the the feature, the main event, but I had a really really good time. My heat race had I started eleventh and I ended up eighth, and they only take the top two out of the feature or out of the heat to make it to the feature. So then I go into 
um, based on my qualifying, I went into a C main, which I needed to advance from that into the B main and then advance to that into the future. So in that C main, I finished fourth and they only took Wait, the top two. I'm confused. What, so what, right. what happened? So I'll, I'll, Wait, I'll what, break it. I'll break it down. What, what happened? There, there is the main race. We'll call, that's the feature. Sometimes called an A main, but it's it's the feature. And you have four heat races. They just divide up the entire field into four heat races. And the top two of those four heat races make it into the feature. They don't have to race anymore the rest of the day until the feature. If you don't make the feature, you have a couple last chance races called the B main and the C main. And uh, so uh, it was a good time. I was, I started my heat so good and it was a 20 lap heat race. And about halfway through, I was just so fatigued. I could barely control the cart anymore. And it was controlling how fast I was going into the turns. And so what I learned was that my cart, like you, it's still a workout. Even if your cart is perfectly set up, it's still a workout. But mine was such a workout that it was affecting how I was driving. So my cart wasn't set up right so um it's a learning process so it was super good times and so now it's time for me to tear that thing apart take some measurements and start making a new one what is it about like give me give me one or two things that would uh would less fatigue you going into the spring i need to make sure i don't get fatigued in my own go-kart that i've been <laughs> so a uh, lot uh, uh, it, it could be uh, a few factors but the cart should be especially when you're going in while i'm racing in 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 ovals and the cart should basically be driving itself but i'm like forcing it I, it's hard for me to turn left and then um when you go left then you turn right because you're sliding so it's a workout for me to do that so probably my center of gravity needs to be moved a little bit the easiest way to do that is actually to reposition the seat either forward, backwards, left, or right. There's also other things, spindle height, um, rear wheel placement, and a, a bunch of other things. So, But it's likely my center of gravity was wrong, and it was forcing the cart to not go. Or, the cart should drive itself, basically, is what my uncle was tell, trying to tell me. Or you could just make a cart that drives itself, and then you could be totally out of the equation. Yeah, right, 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 yeah. <laughs> Are there any well, rules against that? Um, well, they did not say no Arduinos or any computer-controlled, so... There you go. There, By yeah. the way, that will not be a rule in the Duresta yeah. 2020 go-kart trials of Easter. I would love Duresta to see a Grand Prix. Duresta Grand Prix, that's what you got to call it. I would love to see a go-kart that drives itself. <laughs> Anybody out there wants to try and beat the uh, beat the odds? That's all. That's all I'll be saying so, for that right now. Man, <laughs> I I took camera down out with me and we shot the whole thing and we we're making a little documentary that should be out in a couple weeks. The um, I think the like the narrative for the documentary is going to be a transition for me. 2019 was all about trying new things, and 2020 is about taking chances. And I think the movie that we make is going to be about that. So we'll see. It's a, it'll definitely be a different type of video. I've never really put together a documentary or a little miniature movie <clears throat> like this. So that's going to be a, that'll challenge. be fun. Is yeah. there going to be any, like um, any moments where it's like the look of despair and slow motion? <laughs> any of those? 
we'll, we'll, we'll any see, Vimeo guys. moments. <laughs> we'll have to go through the footage. We took we took the drone. We've got um, iPhone on a gimbal shots. We've got handheld and, and tripod. There's so much footage to go through. I'm going to be doing voiceover with it. Um, probably some some office here me shots of me here in the office talking about what's going on and why I'm doing this stuff. So um, we'll see. It'll be a there is kind there of is a lot of uh, you know it's a lot of people kind of discount not not too many people but you know people think a documentary and they're kind of like uh i'm not going to watch that documentaries are amazing in the way that they have voiceover with image and there is a whole art to that and yeah. i mean I, I do that a little bit with my vlogs and and i totally take from watching documentaries the ability to put voiceover over images and have it become impactful so mm-hmm. there's there's a lot to that and it also over you overlap a lot of stimulus that's happening all at the same time so it's it, you could watch a, a documentary a couple of times and get more out of it each time you watch it one of the things that's craziest about documentaries to me is the <clears throat> the continual effort that has to be put in to get some of the stories like mm-hmm. it's easy well, not, i don't want to say easy it seems easy to be like well i'm going to make a documentary about this thing that's right in front of me and i'm going to go around and film it and whatever, whatever, you know, just about this. But then if you start making a movie about something, an action that takes multiple years, climbing a mountain, crossing a continent, or something like that, that blows my mind that people have, that the filmmakers have the stamina to keep up with a story and try to figure out how to make it into a story over years and years of production. And, like, the technology changes throughout it. That's wild to me. I don't even understand... When something takes that long and you have hundreds of hours of footage, how does your vision even make it into an hour yeah. and a half movie? I don't even understand how that could possibly be. That like just that mentally fatigues me right now just thinking about that. Another, another interesting Oh go ahead. Oh I was gonna say another interesting aspect of documentary style filmmaking is still images. A lot of time I mean yeah. Ken Burns perfected the art of that, you know, the Ken Burns effect, but uh, I was recently having a little conversation with this old Tony, and he said a lot of his videos, if you guys watch this old Tony, a lot of his videos are still images of him talking over the images. So he said it's a struggle for him to maintain a, a level of interest. Well, I mean, I think his videos are amazing. I didn't even realize that when he told me, he said a lot of his videos are still images, hmm. which is crazy. He says he takes a nice crisp still image and then just talks over it, which is something I didn't even realize. Hmm. I think um, like Peter McKinnon has made a couple little miniature documentary movies and he's done a fantastic job and like um i don't know if you guys watch becky and chris i think we've mentioned them on the podcast before and i know bob has mentioned levi allen they do a really good job of kind of like quick little like 10 minute documentaries just just cinematic footage and just talking about a a struggle or or whatever so that's going to be my inspiration for this oh oh man this is a huge bummer i got a new gopro 8 and the GoPro 8 ha- has a built-in mount in it, so you don't even need a cage for it anymore. Mm-hmm. But it got destroyed. Oh, <laughs> you broke it? The whole camera did? Uh, just the, the back uh, LCD screen. screen? It's, the camera still works, but it, the, it's made out of glass, and it is totally shattered. Uh... You can barely see the image on there. Yeah. Um, so it's cool that it has a built-in mount, so you don't need a cage, but it's still needs a protective case. Need a cage. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's such a bummer. I haven't bummer. gotten the GoPro yet. A few people asked me. I, I actually love the DJI and I got it be, uh, yeah. 
because you guys use it, Bob. I, I have yeah. I have the little DJI Osmo, and I wanted two um, action cams. So the Osmo was on my helmet in my chin area, and then the GoPro was mounted on the cart. Um, we got so much footage. I'm just dreading how much footage to go through. But, uh, yeah, I, I got that. I, I don't know if iFixit has a kit to replace the the black the back screen on on the GoPros, but that's a mm-hmm. bummer. Mm. Yeah. It still works. We were looking at the we were looking at the trailers when the new GoPros came out recently, and we got done with you know it shows all the features and shows how stabilized it is and everything, <clears throat> and we got to the end of the trailer thing for it, and we were all like, "Man, GoPro is really good at making trailers." Like, I don't know if the camera's actually any better or not. Maybe it is. I, I don't know. But I hope they fix the feature where the battery dies overnight. <laughs> Their promotional material is unbelievable. Like yeah. they do an excellent job of making you like, yes, I can have the outdoor life. I can live the extreme, yeah. whatever, and capture all of it. And you know whether you do or not, that's they're good at. I, I will say so. I haven't been able to compare footage between the Osmo and the GoPro yet, but the GoPro has a better easier to understand menu system uh, the, the osmo is not bad but the gopro is better at it and the the gopro has their i forget what they call their technology to study the footage but the osmo it's called rock steady and there's a button on there and you cannot i cannot understand if the button is on or off oh. <laughs> it yeah like That's the, who, whoever did the user interface for that could have done a little bit better job so the word when you turn Rocksteady on on the on the Osmo, there's a slight delay, and that's how I know I can see the delay in the on the screen if it's stabilized uh, in the right. footage. Yeah, right. That is like version one of their foray into action cameras, and mm-hmm. they did a pretty good job. So I would assume it works that, good. You know, yeah, yeah. It, do, it does work good. A couple. Of, I mean, we didn't mean to talk about this, but a couple of things about the new DJI action camera that are better than the GoPro, as far as I'm concerned, is it turns off when you push the button. It's not a guessing game. Hmm. It's not like I got to hold it for three seconds and then wait for the seven beeps. Or <laughs> is this the Osmo you, you're talking about? I'm talking about the well. The Osmo is better than the GoPro for that reason. When you turn it on, okay. it goes right on. When you yeah. turn it off, it goes right off. The GoPro is always a guessing game. You got to hold the button. In my, it's been my experience that you hold the button for more than one second to wait for the camera to react to you, whether it's going to be on or off. And then, I know what you're saying. Recently, I've been using GoPros. Uh, I used GoPro recently for a, a couple of shots uh, for something I made recently, and the, it just didn't work. I was really, really upset because I missed a couple of key shots. Good thing it was just you know secondary camera to what I was actually shooting. Otherwise, I would have been up the creek because. It just didn't work, and I remember specifically making sure that it was recording. Now, that's a new thing that's never really happened with a GoPro. But the other problem that drives me crazy with a GoPro is, has anybody ever had an SD error? When you get an SD error, it should just say, throw the camera chip away. That's what this SD error should say, throw this chip away. You've lost everything that you had on here till this moment. Because SD error means only one thing, that you are... <laughs> It's yeah. corrupted. Yeah. That's it. I was gonna. I was gonna be because there have been times where you shoot all day long, or you know, I, I'm at a point now with a GoPro when I shoot, I try and if I get a good shot, I try and dump it because I'm not gonna risk shooting for another two hours and get a corrupted SD card. And it happens hmm. so intermittently that you can't say, okay, that camera is bad or that mm-hmm. chip manufacturer is bad. It just happens. Or, or you know, what's scary is when you turn on a GoPro and it says repairing file. 
why why, <laughs> yeah. why does it need to repair a file i've never that's been a never that's something i've never seen in any camera ever in my life why does it need to repair a file if you simply just turn the camera on and off my GoPro? sony will do that every once in a while it'll say like recovering database or something like wh what's that mean yeah. yeah but everything has been cool nothing i've never yeah. lost anything the reason we actually, I don't know how we got to talking about this, but the reason that <laughs> we went to the Osmo cameras when they came out was because I've had, I don't know, probably four different GoPros over the years, like different versions. And every single one of them has had something on it that just kind of stopped doing what it should do. Like, mm. you know, sometimes the, the, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some of them would stop recording. Some of them, the batteries would not turn on anymore and I'd get a new battery and it wasn't the, actually the battery. <clears throat> Some of them would always lose, you know, footage or corrupt cards or something. And so it was kind of just like, I, I really like those cameras and I really like their marketing and stuff, but it wasn't worth it to just, you know, every, to have to upgrade like every other version just because the camera was not really doing its job. So mm -hmm. we haven't had any trouble with the Osmo uh, ones yet. We don't use them a ton, but they're great for time lapses on, you know, 3D printers and things like that. We, where, where we have a tight space, we use them a lot for that type of stuff. So, mm. and then we, have we talked about our big camera upgrade recently? No, right no. So uh, we've been shooting on Panasonic GH5 for a few years now. And over the summer I was hanging out with my friend Bert who does, uh, cinematography stuff. And so he was talking about this. I, w I was kind of saying like, what would be the next step up in camera that he was aware of that wasn't like, I don't want to go to a big cinema camera or anything super crazy, just kind of the next incremental improvement. And he was telling me about the Lumex uh, S1. And so I started looking into it, started watching, um, you know, comparison footage between, because it's the same company, but it's just the step up in camera. So I started comparing the footage of it and the GH5, and I was blown away at the difference. Hmm. It's a full frame camera. So... <clears throat> it just gets a lot more information and the depth of field that you can get out of it is compared to the GH5 is just, it looks entirely different. And so it, you know, it's kind of expensive, but that's just what we do uh, is make videos. So it was like, well, let's try it and see. So we got that camera, <clears throat> immediately tried it out and just like fell in love with it. Like it's, it's beautiful. The footage that we've gotten over the past couple of videos, I am super excited about. And we've actually had a lot of comments on like, what did you guys do? Because it looks different, you know, in a good way. Um, yeah. And it was just one of those things that like, it wasn't necessary. It's not going to add to our bottom line. It's not going to like get us some award for whatever or anything like that. But it makes when we shoot, you know, one action with one camera and it looks all right and you get the action. Sure shoot it with this other camera and you're like, whoa, <laughs> like that looks awesome. Mm -hmm. That right there, it was worthwhile. So uh, I don't, I guess I just brought that up because we were talking about cameras, but it's been a, a thing that we, we did internally that I've been really, really happy with. It was like a worthwhile expenditure, even though we can't turn that money around and like make that money back on a, you know, it's not like a tool that you can make a thing with and then sell the thing. It's just it's, an investment into our overall product, I guess. Diminishing you know, returns. We do all these little tiny upgrades. And it's like, if you know, if you start off with your phone, that's going to be perfectly fine. But then your next big upgrade, which is going to give you the, the biggest improvement, yeah. is, is an actual camera. And then everything from that 
first camera that you get is just a tiny little upgrade, even, and it gets more yeah. expensive as you go. <laughs> I started. I mean, That's many true. people know this. I started my my YouTube channel with the with the with those flip cameras where like the the USB port would flip out of the side. Yeah, and I love those. I was like, you know what? I'm not upgrading. This is it. I did about 70 movies with those until I finally, I started craving depth of field because I did spend my my early creative life doing a lot of photography and a little bit of filmmaking. And so when I decided to just go with the flip cameras to make life easy, I started realizing I was eliminating a lot of creative photography. And so then I, I got a camera with a... Actually, Dave, I bought your D7100. That was my first oh, yeah. upgrade when I bought you a used camera, which I still have. Taylor has it in her shop. Taylor uses it all the time. Yeah. That's a good camera. <clears throat> yeah. So we haven't really talked about what we've been working on. I'm kind of anxious to show you guys what I did last Ooh. week. Ready for this? Yeah. Now, this is a nerdy thing that you're not going to know what it is and whatever, but just look at look at that. You can't take that on a plane. No, I absolutely Is that a one-day build? That looks like some kind of Adam Savage one-day build. That's cool. It's not. Adam, it has nothing to do with Adam Savage. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> Offended. Well... Oh, that's the nerd factor there. That's what I'm talking about. What's it made of? Uh, this is mostly wood. Okay. And so carved. Uh, so, okay. I, I just realized that everybody listening can't see it. So they don't yeah. even know what we're talking about. This is a, a rifle from the Mandalorian from the show that's coming out soon. Uh, it's a Star Wars show. But uh, he has this big sniper rifle looking thing with a crazy fork on the end. And so... Basically, um, we took a toy that's about six inches long and scaled it up and made this from that because there's not really any reference photo because the show's not out yet. So there's one picture out there that's a legit picture. So this is all wood. This is all MDF. Turn This part's turned on the lathe. We have a few 3D printed pieces. This is like a hexagon. It's 3D printed wood. Uh, wood on the lathe. Metal pipe. And then from here back is all wood stacked up and carved and painted and everything but i'm multiple super disciplines yeah yeah there's a there were there's a lot of different things going on in this and so then wait, what, is, what is that from what is that from it's from a star wars tv show that's not out yet oh it's like this bounty hunter guy that has this big crazy rifle but can you see the bluing effect on on yeah. this metal a little part? bit a little bit it may not really be carrying because the light is really bright but um i got to try out a airbrush for not really the first time but basically the first time and tried to make this look like it was uh, had the bluing when you get you know metal really hot. So there's like kind of a straw color down here, and then purplish on the outside and blue on the inside to try to mimic that. And that was really mm-hmm. it was a cool challenge, um, and I did okay for the first try. But anyway, wow. that's what I've been doing for the past week. Is that a that's really. a, an upcoming really. video? Yeah, that should be out this week, hopefully. Oh, cool, sweet. Yeah. I just made, uh, I didn't, I don't know if I did too much story. I don't think I did any stories on it. I made, hopefully Lincoln will, will give me the thumbs up without any modifications, but I did a video where I made fire pit tools using the plasma oh. cutter and some welding and a little bit of blacksmithing. So I was thinking that, about that yesterday. I was sitting by the fire thinking, <laughs> oh, I have a forge now. I should make like a poker. That'd be cool. Yeah. I just okay, made, so I made a poker, a shovel. Uh, if you guys saw my story, I did remember doing the story where I did like these hands that grab like four feet away from you with the scissory hands. So those, those are, uh, part of it. So I will see those video. Hopefully they'll let me release that video this week. But yeah, that was, um, that was a fun one to build. 
I've been cool. traveling too much to be able to make original content. I have a, a lot of, or should I say new content? I, I have uh, a lot of videos started. I'm restoring that, that rifle. If you guys saw, I bought a rifle at a garage sale a couple of weeks ago. You guys know that rifle I paid 25 bucks for? And I didn't know what brand it was because I don't really pay attention to Winchester brands, but now I certainly do. It's a Winchester 22 caliber made in 1880s. Oh, wow. If it wasn't rusty, it would be worth like $20,000. Oh, man. <laughs> and so I'm cleaning it up. I'm trying to get it to be worth a little bit more than 25 bucks. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> 26 <should> bucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think. ROI. So, yeah. So I've been, um, it's funny. I went to this garage sale and, and I know the guy, he throws a garage sale all the time. He's like a junk picker. And I went to pay him for a couple of things I bought, and he was sitting there fiddling around with this rifle that looked like it just came off of the Titanic. I mean, it was it'd been it's been like in a barn where the water was running across it for years. And hmm. he said, "I goes, oh, I'm just trying to see if I can get this going again." I was like, "Dude, that thing, it's completely one solid piece of metal. It's so rusted." He's like, "I know." I'm like, "Are you selling it?" He goes, "Yeah." Took twenty five bucks for it, so I was like, "I'll take it and I'll take it apart and figure out how to use it, you know, or just hang it on the wall as is." The patina on it was actually quite beautiful, and so when I started realizing what it was, I did some searches on. It. I could only find two. If anybody else finds any more, let me know. It's a it's a a Winchester eighteen ninety three twenty two caliber short short twenty two caliber rifle, and lever action rifle and i've only found two one in a museum and one on an auction site that says we'll sell for anywhere between 14 to twenty two thousand dollars so yeah um semi-related have you ever heard of and not related to this podcast at all but have you ever heard of the winchester mystery house Mm -hmm. yes with all the crazy doors and windows have you ever been to it no no i know it's in california somewhere Next time you go to California, make I think it's up in the Bay Area somewhere. I can't remember exactly. Make that a priority. It is fascinating to go through. If for no other reason than to see how wacky some of the construction is. Because this woman, <clears throat> it's a long story, but basically she had people building things to confuse spirits inside the house. So there's like stairs that go up into nothing and there's windows that are like in the floor looking down into rooms below. It's it's crazy. It's really, really cool, though. The the the, the, the quick story behind that is she, uh, after her husband died, Mr. Winchester, uh, she thought the spirits were in her house because of all the guns that he made that killed people. And so she was then trying to confuse the spirits. Yeah. Yeah. I missed what you said, Jimmy. You were muted. Oh, yeah. No, I said exactly that. Oh. Um, yeah. And she had a lot of money. And so for years and years and years, she had construction crews working around the clock, building the house, <clears throat> excuse me, building on the house to confuse the spirits. It's really crazy, but it's definitely worth the time to go see if you're ever out there. So. Hmm. Next time. Um, man, my throat. <clears throat> I'm sorry. David, have you, you didn't say like if you've been working on anything, have you been doing anything outside of the racing or has that kind of been like the focus of the last week or so. uh well we i think the video coming out this week will be all about creating our own edge banding or uh um inlay banding so we did a couple different designs and i used some i made the bottom of the trophy that was given away yesterday out of some checkered inlay banding oh, yeah. and then we did some some other ones and so 
that video is coming out on Friday. And then after that, I don't know. After, well, I think the video after that will be the, the go-kart documentary. So that's what I've been working on. Sweet. Awesome. That's cool. Um, we didn't really have a topic, but is there anything else that you guys like want to, you know, talk through or anything? New versus old? I recently purchased some film from my old camera and I've been shooting film and it's, it's quite the experience of clicking the button and not knowing shutter. I don't want, I don't want photographers to send me emails and at me on Twitter, <laughs> uh, clicking the shutter and then not seeing if what I shot was okay. So, uh, I'm, I used to shoot film all the time. We used to develop film in, in school and at my old job. And so now I'm just, I'm having a good time just shooting film. And I thought maybe we could talk about old versus new and why new is fun, but not necessarily better or maybe much better. I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but I know Jimmy has all these cool old printing presses and I'm sure people have commented and said, can't you just print that out on a printer? No, well, you know, it's funny with the old, the old versus new, the, uh, the printing presses are so basic and so simple. Obviously, I could turn on my, my Hewlett Packard printer here under my desk, which is always low on ink. There's always a paper jam. It is, but at the same time, I'm not going to my, my printing presses to print an email. You know, they have different, they have different needs and purposes. But the, uh, the nice thing I always find people are always like, what, what intrigues you about printing presses is, is the, uh, to quote Eric from Hand Tool Rescue, the gizmosity level is at 100. The gizmosity. I think that's Eric's word. It, just the gizmos and the way things work are just so intriguing visually. They're just so beautiful compared to like people always send me printers just because it is an old printer. It might even be like a 1970 printer. I'm not interested because the gizmosity level is like, is like non-existent because it's like in some ugly housing with like crinkle paint on it and it's got a big drum and that's it. And the simplicity of the old, old printers Versus they started getting to offsetting and the way the ink was distributed got more and more complicated and obviously more efficient because we're here where we are now. But the simplicity of just what it did is is what gets me. And and I can obviously make posters and make prints and I still I have to get into going into Christmas. I have to make a lot more prints getting into November. And I will kick it up again. But that is that is uh the one thing that uh, I really love about the old printing press is that they're just so simple. And, you know, I, and it's also fun when you find a printing press, like in a barn or when I'm like searching online and I start seeing like, oh, okay, I see that. That's got like its own little patented invention, which basically does the same thing as the other 10 I have, but it takes a different swing at it. You know, everybody was always trying to like peel the onion back a little bit and come up with a new, new way. For instance, peeling an apple. I mean, we, the way those old tools peel apples is always all different. That's like a good category of mm. antique tools where people are always coming up with a new invention. But talk about film for one second. I I used to shoot on an Aeroflex. I, I bought an Aeroflex camera just before 9-11, literally in July of 2001. And then 9-11 happened a few months later. But I bought that camera. I shot a whole bunch of film. I shot a movie that summer with it. And... Then going into 9-11, uh, the one thing uh, as far as technology that stands out is everybody was utilizing digital cameras that day all, and, that, and you know, sub- subsequently all the months after. 
there was so many digital cameras that were just coming into being right around that time. I remember I paid about five or $6,000 for the film camera and I tried to return it so that I can go buy a digital camera. And I brought it back to the same store within eight months of buying it. And I brought it in and the guy says, it's not even, it's like, I don't even want to buy it because I won't even be able to turn around and sell it. And now that's, that was like, so in 10 months, this guy's business like completely flipped. It was like a 40, hmm. 45 year old business of selling and buying antique cameras and selling good, sturdy film cameras and news cameras. I had bought an Araflex 16H and took 10 minute reels of film. And I turned around and was trying to sell it to him and he didn't even want it. He's like, I, he's like, I'll give you $400, $500. And I had paid 5,000 like within the year for it. He's like, I can't even like, because it would be pointless for me to even buy it because I don't even want it. And so that's how the technology flipped overnight. And then, but getting into digital has been a life-changing experience. I mean, could you imagine what we were all doing right now if we had to film it and do it on a steam back and cut film and splice film and then output it? It wouldn't There'd be, be less of us. <laughs> <laughs> it, would, it wouldn't be possible. So when I think back to the times of having to load that camera like in my car you know with the back seat <laughs> making sure there's no light leaks and and then yeah. waiting like literally weeks to see if what you shot that day on the street you know uh, in the financial that we shot this movie all around town and like waiting like two weeks to see if what we shot that day was was worth the effort i mean that is just i would never do that again ever unless i was yeah. just like shooting like you get you get two two satisfactory moments. You get the you the shooting, and then two weeks later you get the you get to see what happened. And right. I don't know. Twi- <laughs> or twice you the get level one satisfactory moment and one yeah. moment of disappointment. That's true. That was more <laughs> likely for me. So when yeah. I was in school, when I was in art school, we did you know took a basic photography class as one of the fundamental classes or foundational classes that you have to take. And I remember it being the most expensive class of my entire college career because it was like. You, I got the camera for my grandfather for free, so that was good. But then you had to buy all the film, all the chemicals, all the paper, and, you know, the first half of the quarter is ruining all of that stuff. And then buying it all again to learn, you know, once you've learned how to do it, right, <laughs> to then do the prints and all that stuff. That was super frustrating for me. And I guess a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, immediate gratification, wanting to be able to see if what you've done is worth has been worthwhile or if you need to redo it and that's just a condition of where we are as a society i guess but it's still frustrating regardless um, a fun that's little... probably why polaroids were such a big deal oh, when they yeah. came out because it was like this jump <laughs> forward in being able to at least see what you did yeah uh i just a uh, fun little parallel is my when i was in school my grandpa helped me get my first camera it wasn't his camera, but I could not afford a, an SLR camera. And so we went and we found a used one and he bought it for me. So oh, thanks to our grandpas. Cool. Yeah. Was I it, wish I was it a Pentax? It, no, that's what everybody else had the Pentax 1000 or whatever, but mine was a Rico. Cool. And I wish I still had it. But now I have my film camera is from my other grandpa that was actually his. And that's what I've been oh. shooting on over the weekend. That's cool. I think for me, like the old new thing, there's um, there are certain things that I really enjoy the old version of, but um, like instruments, I really I have this old um, Fender Rhodes electric piano, and 
I love the feel of it. I love the sound of it. I love the clunk that it makes on the inside <laughs> when there's physically things hitting other things. But for the most part, like uh, tools, I would prefer, not that I, I, I wouldn't want an old thing if it was in front of me, I would totally use it. And, you know, but if I had a brand new bandsaw and an old bandsaw that might work, I would probably go for the new one just out of like, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a little bit more confidence that it was going to work right now because I've never done a lot of restoration, you know? Um, I mean, I, like I've talked about this with 3d printers before. I always look at tools as like, they need to do their job. I'm not personally really that interested in having to like fiddle with them a whole lot to get them to do their thing. So a lot of times old stuff, old tools, old cameras, old gear has to be fixed up. And there's, for me, there's really just been a few cases where that seems worthwhile. Most of the time I just want to like get, you know, get to work, get to the thing, mm-hmm. which is pretty opposite of Jimmy, I guess, in most ways. <laughs> yeah, no, you know, it's it's funny. I, I'm intrigued by old mechanisms because they they educate me on going forward. That's really what that's mm. that's probably my biggest benefit is fiddling with old things like like taking apart that that Winchester rifle. I'm like, oh, like there's like so many of those moments of like, oh, that's that's how that works. So that's how it takes the, uh, you know, the shell from the lower chamber and puts it in the upper chamber. And, you know, so little mechanisms like that, I feel like I'm constantly adding to my vocabulary of, of things and mechanisms that I can then tap into for later. So that's really the biggest benefit of looking at antique tools because it needed to do this and it went and it did that. But what's happened with technology and and it it seems like it's, it's not going to stop. It's, it happened to me with the Macintosh, and I've complained about it. Technology, it's like, oh, this happens when I push that button, and that happens. That's cool. And then you see the version from 1950, and you're like, oh, okay, cool. They added that little lever. Hmm, I wonder why they needed that. And then you see the one from 1960, and you're like, hmm, that's interesting. They've concealed all the beauty inside of a casing. And you're like, hmm. And then you see the one from 1970, and it's just a steel box. And you don't know what happens when you push the button, but it doesn't work anymore. <laughs> you got to take the bottom off, and you got to hang it from the rafters to look underneath it. And then you see the one from 1980, and it's electronic, and you go to plug it in, and nothing happens. And then you see the one from 1990, and you go like, I can't believe people still need this thing. So <laughs> the beauty of old tools is that, like, it needed to do this when you push that button and it did it. And they did it with such elegance and mm-hmm. they made beautiful gears and they made everything had a little decoration on it. And like the Macintosh, you'd be like, Oh, you mean I take these four songs and I put them in that folder. Oh, and that's my folder of all good music. That's interesting. Talking about like 1995. And then you're like, okay. Hmm. And I put all these and now I drag them over here. I'm not exactly sure what happens anymore. Hmm. Okay, I guess I'll just have a giant pile of music and video right here. And then I'll find what I need because I don't understand how to put them in folders anymore. Hmm, every two weeks I need an upgrade. Hmm, that interface doesn't look like the one that I was so comfortable using. And now it's like iTunes, I don't even open it. I don't even use it. I just, when I listen to music, I go to YouTube and listen to music. (laughs) Because I don't even know how to use iTunes. It's like, so the point I'm making is it's like, they get this elegance when they start something and then it just slowly erodes away to like, like the most distillate of what they think is the most elegant. And it's, it's, it's over designed for the sake of everyone having a job. I think, I think it's more than that. I think it's like, if you, uh, you have to continue to develop a, a, a product. If Photoshop from 15 years ago is way different than Photoshop now. 
Right now, Photoshop should be able to do pretty much everything you need to do manipulating pixels. But, well, you know what? Maybe you're right, Jimmy. They got to keep these people, they, these people have to keep their jobs, so they have to keep adding features. You can't just have a phone and not have a next yeah. the next version you can't have software without the next version the the companies need to continue to innovate and keep making things can you imagine how surprising that would be if adobe came out and they were like well photoshop's done <laughs> we're never touching it again it's just you know yeah, yeah. that's it i still huh. do like the same five things in photoshop that i did from version one <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I've not learned anything since then. It's like I still do the same. Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. It, I um, think it's... I, I, I just want to say, I think it's important, like, what if you're buying new tools or old tools or new things or old things, it's it's whatever, whatever speaks to you, whatever motivates you and inspires you to do stuff. Like, when I look at books and I'm flipping through books for inspiration, something about the photo on that page makes me look at the photo deeply. And like when I'm on Pinterest, that photo seems to be competing with a bunch of other things. And I'm just kind of mm. flipping through and scrolling through as fast as I can. But something about a book makes me slow down and actually look at what's on the page. I don't know what it is, but it, the books speak to me. And so when you're buying a tool, buy the tool that speaks to you or makes what you do easier so you can move on to the next thing. I don't want to call them out because I don't know exactly what the problem is, but <clears throat> I have this digital tool that uh, worked one time and then I didn't use it for a while. And then I turned it back on and it, well, I tried to turn it back on and it won't turn back on. And I was interested in this tool for what you're saying, David, like I, it was, oh, I see all these possibilities with this thing. We could use this in ways that, to do things that I can't do otherwise, but now it won't turn on and there's no... There's no gearbox to open up to look at. There's no, <laughs> it's just like a mess of electrical, digital, all inside of a chip stuff. And I can't do anything about it. Did you so, smack it on the side really hard? Because that usually works. Kick the tires. But so, I mean, that's an example right there of exactly what you guys are saying. Like it, it has a lot, of, a lot of possibilities. It has some really great capability, but when it comes down to like, I can't fix it. I can't figure out what the problem is. I don't have the degree I need to be able to like open it up, um, you know, to even look at it. And that's, that's frustrating. And it, so it, it makes me completely write that thing off. I was like, well, that's just not a thing. I'm not going to invest time into trying to figure it out. Like, what's the point of that? Like I got other stuff to do. So mm -hmm. that thing is now taking up space and probably won't ever get fixed and won't ever get, you know, used and whatever. Um, separately from that, that's one thought. The other thought is, uh, Jimmy, have you ever heard of a hat show print in Nashville? Yes, 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 yes. I know I know it well. Okay. <clears throat> My brother and his family went there recently, and they were telling me about it, and they mentioned that I should bring it up to you because I, yeah. I assumed you had probably heard of it. But in case people haven't, um, this is an interesting kind of thing, what we're talking about here. It's a print shop, and they do uh, they have tons of printing presses. They do screen printing and all this other stuff, and they've been around for like, over a hundred years, like yeah, hundred years. This is hundred and change, like hundred and twenty-five years or something. Same spot. And the guy or guys or whatever that started this thing were really into. So they they print posters, lots of other stuff, but they've done music posters for shows in Nashville and around for a really really long time. But the guys that started it were 
really frugal and wanted to reuse everything. So they would make these big plates for these posters. And then when they were done with the poster, they would turn that plate into like the sidewall of a shelf and then another <laughs> one into a shelf. And so you can kind of see it when you look at pictures on their website of the shop itself. You can kind of see in the background, the shop itself is made out of the product that they used <laughs> or that they made in the, and in, in then like when they go to make other things, they need a piece of wood and they'll just like grab some shelves that were made of previous prints and they pull them apart and they use those again. And it's a combination of they're still doing, they're using um, old technology, printing technology. They're using old materials and new materials, obviously. And they're still printing stuff for modern use in basically like the old way that it's always been done. It's a really, it's a really cool looking place. I've never been to it. My brother was just telling me about it. And then I've looked at some photos and stuff. I think they do classes, maybe. Um, It looks pretty awesome. And if you're into you know, reusing things or printing or rock and roll or posters or any of that stuff, you may want to check it out. It's called Hatch Show Print. And it's right in the, I don't know what it's called, but the little entertainment district of, of Nashville. So if you're downtown yeah. going through all the bars and stuff, it's right there. Yeah. I'm pretty sure when the three of us were walking around Nashville, I think we walked right past it. Yeah, it was right down the corner from the event center we were at. Yeah. Yep. Dang, we should have gone. <laughs> We should have gone in there. I, I, I was I, actually in I, Nashville this weekend. I should have gone, but I didn't. Yeah. I, I actually haven't done a formal tour there. I should. I will. Well, next time you're down, uh, you know, it's two hours for me. We can drive down and go. It'd be cool. I want to go. I want to go. Can okay. I go? We'll drive down. We'll all, yeah. Of course. Okay. We'll all go. <laughs> cool. Uh, um, we, well, we don't have a whole lot of time left, and we do need yeah. to do a little after show. Yeah. So let me, for the patrons, speaking of patrons... Let me thank our supporters. Uh, we have a lot of people that help us out over there. And we also have a top tier of people that I always get to call out. Uh, say big thanks to Corey Ward, Works by Solo, Chad from Mancrafting, Mancrafting, sorry, Chad, Maker in Training, Fun Kiss Artistic Creations, Blondie Hacks, who, again, uh, Quinn sent us some helpful stuff and nice emails. Uh, again, thank you. You can make this too, Modern DIY and Ginny and Davis. But everybody over there that helps us out at any level, Gets the after show, which will be probably especially short this week because Jimmy's got to run. But it's more of us talking secret stuff, behind the scenes stuff, upcoming stuff, more stuff, stuff. So if you want that, as as interesting as I made that sound, you probably want it. So go to patreon.com slash making it and help us out. Give us a dollar. Give us two dollars. A thousand dollars. What? It's up to you. Oh, don't, don't give us a thousand dollars. Yeah, don't do that. Don't that do would that. be some pressure. <laughs> You can give um, it to me. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> we can send it directly to Jimmy, and you can do that by sending it to Bob at making. I'm just kidding. I just want a new GoPro. Right. Just somebody send me a new GoPro. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> All right, you guys got anything you want to recommend? I do. We get out of here. I okay, do. Um, this video already has six and a half million views, so maybe you've already seen it. But it's super cool if you haven't. It, Zach King, he's like really, really good at yeah he's video. The best. He, um, uh, illusions. Trickery. Trickery, yeah. Yeah. But he has got a video called, uh, Furniture Optical Illusions. And he's just highlighting different furniture pieces that when you look at them in a certain way, they look like there's something else. Super cool. Like, everybody that listens to this show needs to go watch this video. It's a quick little Hmm. four-minute video. Go watch it. Yeah, Zach King is amazing. He's just, it's like, great, great, great inspiring stuff to watch and you just 
it's great for camera tricks. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, I get. You know, you guys talked about um, the uh, Hat Show printing. Did did I talk about it? Did we talk about the Ken Burns country music documentary? We talked about that yet? I don't. I don't think so. If you haven't seen it, you got to go. It's on. It's on PBS broadcasting websites. It's free to watch. I've, I started watching it on the website. It's. It talks about the origins of country music and where it went and how it started. And it's just done so well. I think it's seven episodes that are each about an hour long. And I, I'm only through like two of them, I think, three of them. And so if you haven't seen that, go check out the new Ken Burns country music documentary. It's, hmm. The series is great. Cool. I'm a huge country um, music fan. Not too many people realize that about me because I'm a New Yorker and they think that I'm, I'm a Yankee. But I really <laughs> love country music. I grew up with it. You're totally a Yankee. It's okay. It's not a bad country thing. You Yankee. still like country, but, you know. <laughs> um, so I want to call out our good buddy, Laura Comp, because she oh, yeah. made a credenza. Oh, that uh, thing is so beautiful. Last couple days, and it's it's gorgeous. It's She calls it a minimalist credenza, and a, I don't know. It's got tambour doors, so like the slats of... She uses plywood, but slats of wood with a a fabric backing. And so that they slide around like a shade. They slide around a curved track to slide out of the way. It's just beautiful. And she did such a good job. So elegant. Yeah. And it looks like all of the detail she put into fitting the pieces together, um, you know, getting everything lined up. There's it, it. She's great in all the stuff she does. I thoroughly enjoy, but there was something different about the precision that she was putting into fitting these. Maybe it's just me, but it seemed different, like a step up. Mm-hmm. Like she was like really working hard to make this thing look great and totally succeeded. It looks awesome. Hmm. So, she go check it out. Plus that that or that um process of putting wood slats on a fabric back to give it like this flexible uh character it was really cool i mean i've seen it before but i've never actually seen anybody do it in a project i've just seen photos of it and like videos of it moving and so it was cool to see her actually put it in place in a piece of furniture so go check that out cool you guys got anything else uh i will be at sema this past week so go back in time and come say hello to me (laughs) (laughs) perfect perfect excellent All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. And I'll catch you next time. Love you.